God, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Speak to us tonight. God, help us to learn more about you. Allow us to have good fellowship. Allow us to believe in your word in a deeper, more meaningful way. In Jesus' name, the church says, Amen. You may be seated. Okay. So, <clears throat> we're starting the year off of sorts because school year started. I know the, the full real year happens in January, but we're going to follow the school year a little bit. Um, all you uh, old-timers, bear with me. Today's going to be some review for you. Um, and then we're going to go to places by the third lesson that we've none of us ever went to together. Um, so, I wanted to cover uh, something very teachy right off the bat. We'll get philosophical. We'll get into your feelings. We'll talk about... Joy. We'll talk about the mind. We'll talk about boyfriends. We're just going to go, okay? We're going to go emotional in a little bit. But I want to start very teachy. So stick with me. If I lose you, it's just because, you know, I talk fast and I'm moving around. If I don't lose you, you're brilliant. God bless you, okay? You can ask me questions whenever you want. You can listen to the podcast. We have a podcast. You can go back and review it. So some of this may be simple to some, and some of this may be deeper to others. But we're all friends, right? Okay. I want to talk to you about why the blood. You ever read the Bible? And you see all the things about blood in the Bible? May I ask yourself the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he have to die for our sins? We take that as face value, and preachers tell you to cry about it. You should feel moved because Jesus died on the cross. And you're like, okay, like I get that that's a big deal. Like he did that, but why? You know, why do you have to do that for me? You know, you're told to, to feel something when you think about the cross. You're supposed to feel something on Easter because he died and rose again, bless God. You're like, okay, it's cool. He rose again. It's amazing. I love Jesus. But really, why? We're presented a gift and we're told to treasure it, but you have to understand why the gift had to take place. Okay? So the next lesson, we're going to deal with why you have two natures and what the cross has to do with that. Why part of you says run in the street, the other part of you says don't run in the street. A part of you says, I want to date that person. Another part of you says, run to the hills. Okay? We're going to deal with the duality of who you are, how Jesus overcame that, how it deals with the cross. Firstly, why the blood? God is a spirit. One Lord, one spirit, Ephesians 4 says. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. These are just big words that means that God is so powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. God is so powerful that he cannot contradict himself. Get this, like if you were all-powerful, you would do whatever you wanted, right? You would make rules and break them. You would do a thing, undo it. God is so powerful that he binds himself to himself. Now, I know that sounds like a fortune cookie statement, but think about it. God is so powerful and so honest and so holy that when he makes a rule, even he won't break it. Okay? Your initial idea of what grace is. Grace, we're saved by grace. Hallelujah. You know, I, the Bible says that when I sinned, I should die. That's the rule. But grace, God got rid of that rule for me. He didn't get rid of the rule for you. Grace is not God getting rid of his rules. Grace is when God fulfilled his own rules for us. Okay? So what's that rule? Here's the rule that God set. Simple terms. If someone sins, you have to die. That's the rule. Blood will be shed. For the wages, in quotes, for the wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, he shall reap. We, we sin, we should die. Okay? So, God decided, I cannot break my own rule. When Adam and Eve sinned in the very beginning, we'll get into this in a little bit. Adam and Eve sinned against God by taking of the forbidden fruit. They rebelled. Instantly, they broke the rule. They should die. They began to die in multiple ways. They didn't just drop dead. 
They begin to age. They never were going to age. Time that measured eternity now becomes a clock measuring your decay. They begin to die spiritually in that they don't feel God anymore. In that they're distant from God. They begin to die spiritually in that they're tempted to do wrong things. Something called the sin nature gets a hold of them. See, the, sometimes the Bible, when it says death, it means dead, physically. You're done, you know? Sometimes when it says death, you've got to read it, it means spiritually dying, as in like your body is trying to kill you, trying to make you do stupid things, okay? And then the second death, or the eternal death, the final death the Bible speaks of, is where you go to hell and you're separated from God forever. So the, the same word for death has different meanings. you just got to read your Bible carefully. But all three of these deaths are happening to Adam and Eve. They're dying physically, they're separated from God, they're tempted to sin, and they don't fix it, they're going to be separate from God forever. So what does God do? Right? The rule is, if you sin, you must die. That's the rule. God then, knowing they took of the, the forbidden tree, you can have all the trees, tree of life, make, you know, live, and, and all the trees you want, just can't have the one tree of the knowledge of evil. Lesson two, we'll get into that more. I love talking about the tree of the knowledge of evil. But they disobeyed, okay? It probably wasn't an apple. I don't know what it was. Probably a pear. Probably something you've never seen before. But, you know, you can keep your story-like imagination what you read in the kitty book. Let's say they take of an apple. They eat of it. They sin. They rebel. They broke a rule. They're dying. Why didn't God just kill them right then? They run and hide from God. They're hiding among trees and bushes from a God that sees all, knows all. How silly is that? To hide from a God that sees everything. But yet you can identify with them, right? Sometimes we hide things from God, but God sees it. It's kind of weird how we do that. We don't go pray. We don't go to church. Because we think deep down, like our mind knows God sees it, but our body says, run and hide. I don't want to address it with God. We do this all the time. You'll do it later. I'll do it. So they're hiding from God. God goes out and says, hey, where are you, Adam? Where art thou, Adam, in the KJV? Where art thou? Really dramatic-like. God knows where Adam's at, but he's asking Adam a question that seems silly. Why does God ask silly questions when he knows the answer to it? Oftentimes you're reading your Bible and you'll feel God speak to your heart in moments questions that you think are silly. Questions you don't think you should answer because God already knows the answer. But God does not ask the questions for his own benefit. He asks the questions to change you. See, when you give God the answers to questions you think you don't need to answer anymore, it always will change you. For instance, repentance every day. You're answering a question. Anything on your heart? You done anything wrong? Actually, yeah, here it is. You give it to God. Any fears? God knows your fears, your dreams, everything. But why do you have to tell God that knows all? When you give him, you answer the question, it changes you. It releases something spiritual. Make the long story short, they come out and they, they're, they're shameful because they're naked. Being naked wasn't sinful, but now there's a shame to it because they rebelled. Things that once were true and holy are being corrupted by this sin nature. It wasn't a sin. It wasn't a sin to be unclothed then. It wasn't a sin for all these things. Intimacy and all these things are twisted now because of the sin they had. And so now, welcome in. How y'all doing? Hi. Find a seat wherever you like. <clears throat> now, what was good is now corrupted because they've now sinned. So they don't want to stand before God because they're afraid of God. They're afraid they're going to die. How oftentimes we don't want to stand before God because we're afraid that God's not going to like us today, right? So they try to make themselves clothes because they, they discover they're naked. They make themselves a garment of fig leaves. 
They basically made themselves a leafy bikini, y'all. Okay, they just covered enough to get by. Okay, it was just enough. Okay, but it was not God's idea of holiness. The Bible calls it a loincloth. They look like Tarzan and Jane. Okay, God's like this does not match. <laughs> so God goes and he kills an animal. God literally kills an animal. He sheds blood, and he makes a tunic out of the fur, and he covers them. Now we know throughout the Bible and the context and the historical teachings, the tunic covers the whole abdomen down below the knees. God set the ideas of what nakedness was and what being clothed meant. God defined modesty, not man, not a pastor. God said it at the very beginning. They felt ashamed for being unclothed, and God said, here's what I'll cover you with so you won't feel shame in my presence. He did it so they could feel comfortable talking to him, Right? Without the killing of the animal, there's not a proper covering for them to talk to God and feel comfortable with God. This ties in. Now, there's holiness going on. There's modesty going on. But something deeper is going on. God shed blood to give them a moment with him, a moment they did not deserve. They should be dead. But what's the rule? When we sin, the rule was we should die. But God says, you know what? I will give a substitute. Instead of you dying, I'll kill a sacrifice to give you a moment with me. That was grace. Grace, he killed something, and he said, this can stand in your place. This innocent animal is going to shed its blood, the blood that should have been shed from you, but it's going to give you a moment of grace so you can walk and talk with me. Now you see something starting to build. God's fulfilling his own rules. God, there's a, a courtroom or a transaction of heaven. This is how much is owed, and God says, I'll sacrifice something in your place. So now every time man sins, God begins to tell man, sacrifice a spotless lamb. Sacrifice a clean animal. Seems weird, right? All the sacrifice in the Bible. All the blood. Well, the Bible makes it very clear in the New Testament. It said that when you sacrifice the animal, it was innocent. It was a substitute for you. And when you, you sacrificed it, they sacrificed every time they sinned intentionally. You ever like sinned on purpose? <laughs> yeah, you have. They had to go get an animal afterward and say, i got to sacrifice this thing or God's probably going to kill me. Once a year they sacrifice one big sacrifice for all the sins they didn't know they did. That happens to you and I all the time. But this did not get rid of their sin and this did not make God forget about their sin. The Bible says it just pushed it off for a moment. They had a grace that lasted only until the next time they messed up. Right? So the rule is still be fulfilled. I should die, but something's dying in my place. Every time a boy was born, a firstborn child boy was born in the Old Testament, God said, that's mine. The firstborn belongs to me. But I'll let you sacrifice a spotless lamb in his place. I should take that boy's life. It's owed me. I'm God. But I don't want to do that. So what I'll do is you kill that innocent animal to be the substitute for a broken and sinful person. He called this process redemption. You ever heard people sing about the redemption of God? What does that mean? It's like how you redeem a coupon. You should have paid full price, but somebody gave you something where you didn't have to pay it for yourself. Somebody paid it for you. Somebody bought you a gift card. You didn't have to put the cash down, and you redeemed it at your local grocery store or your restaurant. What grace is, is that God didn't break his rules. God said, I'll bring the sacrifice instead of you dying, and if you receive it the way I ask you to, you can be redeemed. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the spotless lamb. The firstborn of many brethren. There's that word. If you gave, if you had a, a, an animal that was born and it was clean, but you didn't want to kill it, but you were supposed to to God, God said you can redeem it with another animal that's clean or you can pay. It was all about substitution. 
So the blood being spilt by an animal didn't forgive us of our sins. The apostles said in, 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 in the New Testament that it was just buying in an obedience. It was foreshadowing that one day Jesus would be the spotless lamb. And that when he died on the cross, his sacrifice, one sacrifice for all time, would pay for all the sins before him and after him, all of those that are willing to receive his sacrifice. You understand why this blood thing's happening now? God is building a theological lesson. He made the rules. We didn't make it, but God didn't break it in the name of grace. God fulfilled it. He became a man named Jesus. He became perfect. You had to give a spotless lamb to sacrifice for someone's sins. So he said, you know what? I'll be spotless. I'll never sin. You know what? A lamb can't is not a good substitute for a man. But you know who it is? A man is a good substitute for a man. What about a perfect man? What about God in the flesh? What about God and man? What if I live in this body and I never sin and I die on the cross for yours? My blood could cover all the sins of everybody that wants to receive my grace. So God didn't break his rule. He shed his blood for you. Then he redeemed you. You know what I'm saying? That's why the Bible isn't spooky. It's not weird. There's not the, the, the sacrifice isn't too odd. You just got to read it in their context. Read it from the beginning to the end. If you ever see a contradiction, it's not a contradiction. You need a greater context. For instance, the Israelites back in Exodus were leaving the bondage of Egypt. And Pharaoh didn't want them to leave, the, the king of Egypt. And God had his last plague. I, I, I encourage you to go read it. God said this, I'm going to send an angel and he's going to start killing all the firstborns. All the firstborn males. God said, oh, the firstborns are mine. Right? But he said, I, I don't want to kill anybody's firstborn. This is where God is torn. See, for God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Right? For God so loved the world. You have a hard time compensating that God has love, but also God lets people die and lets people go to hell. How can a loving God do this? What he's doing is... His love cannot contradict his justice. See, we've all seen love that goes too far and enables people to never be changed. But real love wants you to be free. So God's love never contradicts his justice. So God says, listen, I don't want to kill anybody because I love you all. But all should come to repentance. When you repent, that's how you receive his grace. His love can't give you grace. His love can lead you to His grace. But repentance, God, I, I'll change. I'll do what you want. I'll, I'll obey. I'll do what I have to. Here's what happened. In that story, God said, I don't want to kill anybody, but it's going to happen. Unless you go find, here we go, a spotless lamb. See it piecing together? Kill the spotless lamb. And I want you to take its blood. Now, I know it sounds gory, but it's the Bible, y'all. I want you to paint on the side door post. The side door post and the top door post. And if you do this, this angel will pass over your house and not kill the firstborn. What did you need? You first needed a sacrifice that was right. Spotless lamb. Jesus is the spotless lamb. John called him that. Jesus called himself that. You didn't just need the right sacrifice though. Didn't matter that you had the lamb. Didn't even matter if you killed the lamb. Right? Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. He's done it. We got the lamb. He, he sacrificed. But what did you have to do? You had to apply it the right way. If you painted your floor mat, welcome, uh, uh, home, you know, all those white girl doormats, it doesn't matter what you did. If you painted the wrong thing, you would die. You could have had the right sacrifice, the right blood. You could have painted the shutter, sis, but you still would have died. There were three steps. Worthy sacrifice, the death of that thing, and applying it the right way. That's why there's blood going on. The Bible says that 
when you repent, it's like you die on the cross with Jesus. You're saying, I don't want to be this person anymore. It's called dying out. Now, I know the Bible sounds dramatic, but when you make it simple, it's just saying repenting. I'm not, you're not. You're saying, God, I don't want to be this. You're confessing. You're relinquishing. You can take my ideas. You can take my plans. That's repentance. And then the Bible says that when Jesus died and was buried in the tomb, it says that's what happens to you when you get baptized in Jesus' name. In the water. It's called the watery grave. What happened was, when you repented, you said, I'm done with this guy. God says, let's kill it. I'll forgive you for your sins. And when you get baptized, what happens is, God lets the old you stay in the water. But you'll stay in the water in the tomb, allegorically, though you've left it. The Bible says that when Jesus left the tomb, the same spirit that raised Jesus, if it lives inside of you, it will give you the ability to be free. The Bible then says that when you get the Holy Ghost... It's like you leave the tomb resurrected as Jesus. You get freedom. You get life. You get joy. The same spirit that filled his body will fill you. And in that moment, you may have been baptized three months ago, but when you get the Holy Ghost, that's when you really walk out new and free. What happened was, when Jesus died, he did something that you couldn't do. He was your substitute. And how you buy in, how you apply the blood the right way, is you get born again. You repent get baptized in Jesus' name, you get the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's how you apply it the right way. That's how you apply the blood. I was talking to somebody, and you hear in church culture, they pray, I pray, the, I pray the blood over your life. You're like, what the world is going on? What does that mean, you pray the blood over my life? You know, like, I, I don't know if I want that. They're not praying little blood. If they did, it'd be pretty scary. They're meaning the grace of God, you know? They're meaning the mercy of God. They're meaning that, I hope Jesus comes in your life and helps you out, Okay? It's not gory. It's not scary. We can be more clear with our terms sometimes. We get so trapped in churchdom that we don't clarify. And I'll tell you what, half people that say it don't even know why they say it anyway. <laughs> They've lived this whole life. They've read half their Bible. You know I'm telling the truth. Take the blood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. Lift your hands if everybody's ever shook you when they prayed for you in church. Every hand would go up. <laughs> not in the Bible, but you know, God loves us. So, how do you apply the blood the right way? God's keeping his rules. He's the lamb. He's the sacrament. How do you apply the right way? Born again. Nicodemus was told by Jesus. Jesus did a Bible study. Pretty epic. But Nicodemus didn't get saved. Listen, don't be afraid to teach Bible studies. Because <laughs> Jesus taught a lot. Jesus preached a lot of sermons. And some of Jesus' altar calls were not that good. So it may not be you, boo. Just keep on trucking. Okay? So Jesus is sitting down with a man. And he says, hey. Unless a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, as you would, if you had no idea who Jesus was with the Bible and you didn't have way FM and Chick-fil-A, you'd be like, I don't know what's going on. How can I enter again into my mother's womb? I came out once. I can't go back. That's what he's saying. Jesus said, listen, this is pretty high-level stuff. Don't worry about it. I'm going to make it clear. This will all be revealed when, when the Son of Man is lifted up. Now, he's just fulfilling prophecy terms. The Son of Man was prophesied. What he's saying in layman terms is, this is all going to be clear to you, and this is going to be open to you whenever I die on the cross. He said, I'll be lifted up like a staff back in Exodus where they all looked at the staff and they were healed. He said, I'll be lifted up. What happened when he's lifted up? He died. He died on that cross. What he's saying is that you being born again won't be able to happen until I am lifted up and I die on that cross. And the moment he died... it. It's like when that lamb was put on that altar. 
because you and I would have sinned on purpose. They, you had to kill it, and then the priest would take it. You had to deal with the shame and the pain of looking at this animal. You had to hold it, and you had to cut its throat. It's gory, y'all, but you had to do it because God wanted you to feel bad about what you did. He wanted you to feel not condemnation because you're about to fix it. But he wants you to know like, sin is real. Sin is real. And when Jesus died, spiritually the same thing happened, but it was greater. And when how you apply that, being born again of the water and of the Spirit, he said, then you enter the kingdom of heaven. Then you're born again. Then you're saved. Then the blood of Jesus applied to you. For the Bible says, remember Adam and Eve, they got to talk to God without being afraid because he did what? He shed blood and he covered them from the fruit of that. He made clothes. Salvationally, when you get born again, he puts a spiritual covering over you. In a way, he puts his DNA upon you. So when you walk in his presence, if he did not cover you, you would not be able to survive. You would not go to heaven. But in a way, he put a garment on you just like he did for Adam and Eve. That's what grace is. Grace is not a freebie. Grace is not just, grace is Jesus putting his arms around you and walking in with you. Grace is him putting his blood on you in a non-weird way. That's what grace is. You get born again of the water and the spirit. To receive that. It says we have boldness to walk in the holy places because of the blood. Hope you understand when you read these blood verses, you're not going to be fooled. Like, it's going to be more simple now. What does it mean I have boldness to walk in the holy places, bless God, because of the blood of Jesus? You're saying this, you can go pray now without feeling you're going to, you know, God hates you. Because you, you're covered. You, you can repent and God will forgive. Now here's the cool thing. When they did the animal sacrifice in the beginning, it just pushed it off for a day, a year, a month. But Jesus said, he said, when you get born again and you apply the blood that I will shed on that tree, he said, not only will I forgive your sins, I will remember them no more. Didn't I say earlier that God is so powerful he doesn't even break his own rules? God is so powerful that he will bind his omniscience, his ability to see everything. He'll bind it where he can't see the things you repented about. That's grace. But it wasn't free. It took him dying. Now the next time you think that Jesus is a hippie sitting on a field just saying, I love every... No, no, no. Jesus did some heavy things for us. He literally... When you repent tomorrow, if you're born again, he, he, he will remember it no more. So how do we get born again? Okay, for those that you've done it and you don't know why you did it. You, you felt it, you know it was real, but you won't understand what the Bible's talking about. Those of us that have not done it, here's what happens. <clears throat> On the day of Pentecost, they began to speak in other tongues. And everybody thought these people were drunk. Jesus told them, wait on me because my spirit's going to fall. I will not leave you without a comforter. Then he said, I will come to you. What did it say? The same spirit that raised Jesus lives inside of you. They begin to be filled with this spirit. Ephesians 4 says only one spirit. Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of God. You read it, it sounds like they're interchanging because it's one spirit. Begin to feel man. Peter gets up and says, Jesus was the Messiah. He was the spotless lamb. He died for our sins and y'all didn't accept him. And they said, what shall we do then, Peter? We feel pretty bad. Peter preaches a sermon about all the Old Testament. Why? Because the blood is there. The blood's there. Lambs and sacrifices. He's saying things to you that, I, that I'm saying to you. He's connecting the dots. He said, Jesus died as a lamb. Here's how you accept it and apply it to your doorpost of sorts. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins. Right? 
Romans 6, the Bible says, when I repent, I die on that cross. And I get baptized, I'm buried in that tomb. The remission of sins, the putting away of it and the covering of it. And he said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay? And the promise is unto your kids and your children and all the generations that are all there far off. What he's saying is what happened today is going to happen again and again and again. Almost done. What it, getting the Holy Ghost speaking in their tongues, though, I get this spoken tongues, but how do you get the connection that he's saying that when you get the Holy Ghost, you, you're going to speak in their tongues? Peter goes on, and he's preaching the same sermon to a different group of people. And they began to speak in their tongues. And he went, having heard them receive the Holy Ghost the way that I did in the beginning. The Apostle Peter is saying, I knew I got the Holy Ghost because I heard a thing. I know they got the Holy Ghost because I heard what? Literally, heard them speak in their tongues. Having heard them receive it the same way I did. He said, I got to baptize in Jesus' name. Shows you that to apply the blood to your doorpost, you have to do what? Repent, be baptized in His name, get to give the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, the initial sign is speaking their tongues. The Apostle Peter said it. Yo, I didn't say it. He just said it right then. Happens over and over and over again. The Apostle Paul found some disciples of John. Said, you got the Holy Ghost? Hmm. How are you baptized? And repentance. I, you know, I just did it out of faith. You weren't baptized in Jesus' name? Who's Jesus? Oh, okay. He said, I got to fix this thing. You don't have the Holy Ghost. But you weren't baptized the right way. He said, boom, here we go. He rebaptized these people in Jesus' name. They came out of the water. He laid hands on them. See that weird thing that we do? It's actually from the Bible. We're just not kooky. <laughs> the laying hands on the thing happens all, all the time in the Bible. They get the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking their tongues. Written right there. Right there. Okay? Last, I promise, almost done. Have fun. Too much fun. Too much fun. Last, this is how you apply it in your doorpost. So you don't, you know, you go to heaven. Lastly, Philip was evangelizing the Samaritans. I'm making a good time. I don't even know why y'all worried. Philip was evangelizing the Samaritans, people that didn't, weren't supposed to be, you know, churched. They, they, were, they were socially outcasts, but God wanted to save everybody. He baptized them in water, baptismo. Greek word means fully submerged. That's why we just don't let your pinky toe stick up. We get you fully under. He baptized them in literally, right, written word for word. You read it, Jesus' name. Problem was, it said that Philip was a little worried because the Holy Ghost had not yet fallen upon them. If the Holy Ghost is something I just say, come into my life and I'm done, why is the Bible saying over and over again it's something that fell upon them? Something that fell, something that, that was given. Something that God gives you. So he then brings Peter and John, the big guns. They come down and they begin to lay hands on them. There we go again. And they begin to get the Holy Ghost. They didn't say they spoke in their tongues right there blatantly. But what happened was so powerful that a man named Simon the sorcerer said, I want to buy what you got. He was so used to confounding people. Why would a man want to buy the power to make someone say, come and live inside my heart? He saw something that Peter saw when he said, they, were, they received it the way I received it. He saw something they saw in Acts 2.38 in the day of Pentecost. He wanted to buy the ability when I lay hands on somebody, I want them to do that. You ever saw someone get the Holy Ghost? Remember how it felt when you got it? You can see why somebody wanted to buy it if you're used to wooing people for a living. But here's the important part. This is how you apply to your doorpost. You can't just have one. 
They could have just said, be baptized. Hey, that, that really matters. You did a good thing. Go off and live your life. They waited for the, the big guns to come out and pray for them. Grace is when God said, I will become the spotless lamb and I will die on my own cash register. And I will be the currency that redeems you. I will, instead of you paying your debt, I'll pay it for you. But grace is a gift that God freely gives, but you have to obediently receive it. Have you heard that? You're telling me I have to earn grace. I have to earn grace? God freely gave grace. He did. If I gave you a present, and I, I know some of you old timers, like I've heard him say this a thousand times, so bear with me. We're going somewhere. If I gave you a present, you didn't buy it, did you? I gave it to you. And then what if you said, I can't unwrap this because I'd be earning this present. I'd be doing physical actions. If I said, thou shalt unwrap this gift to receive it, you'd be like, it's legalism. It'd be me earning it. I'm, this gift's too good for me to earn. No, Jack, you ain't earned nothing. You're just unwrapping it. Obedience is not earning. Obedience is a door to receive. When your parent says, don't run in the street, or you'll die. When you obey them, and you don't run in the street, and you don't die, you didn't earn that knowledge. It was gifted to you through obedience. You know how you'd earn that knowledge yourself? You got hit by a car. You didn't earn it. You received it because somebody through grace gave it and your obedience unwrapped it. That's how, that's why there's blood and that's how you apply it to your doorpost. If you have any questions, consult me in my office hours. <laughs> why don't you stand with me? <coughs> Listen, oh, I turned off my mic. Party over. Listen, go read it for yourself. Listen, get your translation, you understand? Some of them are garbage, some of them are awesome. Go get yourself, you know, KJV, sure. Thou, thee, thy, get yourself an ESV, maybe. I like the ESV. Very clear. It, it's the same thing. Just cuts out the thousand of the eyes and uses you and the, and bro. It doesn't. There should be a translation that shortens all the brothers to bros. <laughs> bro, come forth. Read it. It's going to be intimidating at first, but just like, toughen up. Like, life's hard, okay? We pacify everything. Literally. It, it, yeah. It's God... The God of everything expressed himself on a written page. It's going to be hard sometimes. How dare he make us have to stretch? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Kids these days, I'm telling you what. Videos, they explain everything. Can't read a book, I'm telling you what. It's like a boomer now, though. Go read it for yourself. It's one thing when I tell you it. I hope you have faith in it. But when you find it too, something deeper is going to happen. Okay? You have questions? Come talk to me in private. You have doubts? Come talk to me. It's a journey, right? It's fun. There's joy in this, okay? Anyways, why don't you pray with me? God, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your word. I pray that we allow your spirit to lead and guide us in your word. God, help us, as your word says, to rightly divide it, meaning that we learn a verse over here, learn a verse over there, and we connect the dots. God, you wrote the beginning and the end of this book. That We can't just take one part at the expense of, the, of all of it. We need to piece it together. You have woven a story. Help us understand you. Help us, help us to see the depth of you. It's not complicated if we get the full context. It's not weird if we understand the backdrop. God, allow us to have, one, the hunger, and two, the understanding that only your spirit can bring to understand your word, have a joy in you, have, have, have passion in you. Jesus, may pray, and the church says, Amen. I want you to be friendly. I'm trying to music, uh, you know.